Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Brandon Dyson. Dr. Dyson is the co-founder of TLDRPharmacy.com. He's also BCOP and BCPS for the board certification specialties and a graduate from Howard University. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dyson. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate being here. Looking hey, forward to chatting with you. Hey, the pleasure is all mine because I've listened to, or I should say read your stuff for some time. I think it's really super useful and you have some great insights. But today we're going to talk about something that actually is a little bit older than I realized when I asked you to come on, but I think it's relevant today, especially with the recent AMA statement and everything else that's kind of just going on with pharmacy in general. You wrote a piece that's very well done called The Epidemic of Professional Shaming. Can you elaborate on what motivated you to write this and what you meant by this statement? Sure. So I wrote that in the very, very early days of TLDR Pharmacy. And basically, I was in a hospital setting at the time, and it was just something I saw, like, noticing. I kept noticing things over and over again uh, between different departments. You know, pharmacy would complain about nursing. Nursing would complain about pharmacy everyone complained about the surgery team, <laughs> you know, like it, it was like, it would go like, and, and sometimes it's like, you know, in good fun, like, Oh, did you check the tube station? <laughs> did you check, you know, like sometimes it was like just kind of fun ribbing. Like I would do with my, you know, like I grew up with a very dry sense of humor and like my friends and I made an art out of making fun of each other, you know? So <laughs> sometimes it's gentle ribbing like that, but sometimes it was just like, it felt like it was a little bit more right. And sometimes it felt to me, like almost like stepping over a line, like now we're starting to attack them for things that we shouldn't even attack them for. Like, oh my God, the, you know, so-and-so tried to double the warfarin dose on the second day because the iron didn't. like they'd start like, and sometimes this was like a medical intern, you know, who's like literally just starting his practice career, you know? So it was like, they, like, let's chill out with this to an extent, you know, like we're all different specialties here. We're all kind of work into the same goal with their different specialties. Let's be nice to each other. Cause otherwise like all we're going to do is sell division and confuse everybody. And, you know, patients see this stuff, right? So you do this for long enough over a period of time over and over again, everyone's doing it to everyone else. Like kind of the patient ends up ultimately suffering and kind of becoming disillusioned with healthcare. So that's yeah. kind of where I was coming at with it. Yeah. Well, why do you think we do it? I'll be the first person to say I'm guilty of this too. When I worked in a hospital, I, you know, you'd always be like stupid nurses when they like, they lose a medication or something like that, but you don't ever take the second to like necessarily blame yourself. At least most of us don't. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I do it. Too. I, everyone does it. It's, it's a human problem. Like we've sorted ourselves in the tribes since, since the dawn of civilization, right? <laughs> since, since we had tribes. Us and <laughs> right. Since, since tribes, right. I mean, it's, it's just a thing that we do. Like it's, you, we, I mean, kids do it like at very early ages, like we determine us versus them. It's just a thing that happens. And so like some element of that is understandable. It's fine. Like, you know, you take care of your family first, so to speak, you know, you're going to protect and speak on behalf of the pharmacy. If you're a pharmacist or nursing, if you're a nursing, a nurse, but at the same time, you know, we're adults and we have, <laughs> you know, we've got frontal lobes that like can process like cerebral cortexes that can like metacognate and things like that. We can zoom out 
and realize that there's a bigger picture than tribalism, right? Then there's, there's something else. And again, if you can zoom out, um, I think on that post, I made an analogy about like a sports team, like a football team, you know, it's, if you had a football team that was made of just linebackers, it wouldn't be a very good football team. Right. But you get a quarterback and some linemen and some receiver, you know, you put together all of these different specialties that certainly serve a role, you know, at a very different role, but they play together. Or if you've made an orchestra out of only flutes, you know, like it would, it would sound terrible, right? Shrill, high pitch, there would be no bass, no drums, no, no driving force to it. So it like you, we need these disciplines, these different disciplines, these different specializations to work together to make the beautiful composition of Mozart's ninth or whatever. And it's the same with healthcare. We all work together, view our strengths, respect each other's strengths, you know, and play well together. Then ultimately the patient wins, we win, everyone wins. Yeah. I, you know, one thing that we see a lot in hospitals and I think they're probably better at this than kind of like the more of the, the retail or like the, you know, what you think of, of going to your doctor's office than going to a pharmacy type of setting is you see like, you know, the clinical pharmacist rotating around there with the, the medical team. There's usually nurses and everyone kind of throws in their two cents to figure out like what's the best care. But a lot of time when we look at like the face of pharmacies, community pharmacy, right? Like pe- a lot of people still don't realize right. that pharmacists can even round with uh, physicians but it's one of those right. things of, you know, we see the silos and we are kind of siloed, especially if you're working at like a big box chain, like you don't work in the doctor's office. So what you, you're basing all your judgment off what you see from either the patients or the prescriptions that come from their office. And that's probably not fair. I, I will say I've done this in the past and I, you know, you, you do what you can to protect your patients as best you can. But it's one of those things that, you know, you start making judgments off of things you're seeing. And you might not even realize that sometimes their patients might, you know, they might have had different experiences or the doctor might or physician might have had different experiences. Is that kind of like why you think this post is just evergreen so well, especially in light of all the changes that we've had to deal with with COVID? Yes, 100%. We don't you don't get the full picture all the time, right? And you don't have everyone else's backstory. To me, you know, I, I can make some recommendation on streamlining therapy and, you know, on X, Y, and Z factor, but this position has has done that before and has, has had a really bad thing where someone got sent to the ER or to the ICU because of it or, you know, like there's so many different like sides and perspectives and I think it's, silly to assume and you know egotistical to assume that you know everything you know like especially in like again i wrote this post in the hospital environment but a lot of times like because you know especially if you're not on the floor if you're you know staffing in central and you're down in the basement of the hospital like you're you're making all of these decisions based off of a set of labs and a physician's note that most likely was copy pasted or at least 80% of it was, you know, and, and doesn't tell you that the, the patient's kind of like got this wound that's pussing out. Like you don't see that, right? Like in, if you're not there, you don't see it. And so when you see this, what seems like a ridiculous antibiotic order or something like that come over, you're like, well, what the hell is this? It's kind of know what the hell he's talking about. for everybody. Great. You know, <laughs> like, and when you're not really there, like if you don't see it or, you know, so, I think just having like that perspective of, you know, of what, what's, you know, actually what the real situation might actually be, or even just 
the what the other side is going through you know being a nurse is incredibly difficult they yeah they're yelled at by the they're yelled at by pharmacy because you know we're like it's definitely in the tube station <laughs> why haven't you checked the tube station you know like they're getting they're getting stuff from us they're getting comments from the physician because how come this drug hasn't been given to the patient yet they're getting crap from the patient's family who's sitting there giving them the side eye like with you know and it's like they're just trying to take care of the patients that's all we're all trying to do you know you brought up a good point there with pharmacy too and how we're making assumptions because one thing i've noticed with our profession and obviously i love it or i wouldn't be doing a podcast on it for all these episodes but we horribly stick to the guidelines and it's a good thing. It helps keep people in line, but we don't make a lot of like the gray area or like we don't let the anecdotes ride through because we're like, no, these are the guidelines. But so many times physicians will be like, well, I had this one patient one time. They have a whole story about it. What, right. And like they can paint a Van Gogh with the story. And meanwhile, we're like, right. but the guidelines. <laughs> right. You know, and that's a, a, it's an awesome point. Thanks for bringing it up because it's hundred percent true. And it, there's a nice and check and balance system there. Right. Guidelines are flawed too, right? They have their biases. Like they're they're still yeah. made by a committee based off of a lot of different factors. Two things change faster than guidelines change, especially in certain things where we haven't seen like a new one since like 2014. Yeah. You know, I, I work I work in oncology, and it's life is lived outside of the guidelines like 90. percent Like I've I've never approached with a question from anybody about something that's like, look, category one. NCCN, <laughs> beautiful, right? Like it's never going to come my way, right? Like everything is. So it technically says you should dose adjust, but we're going for cure. But you know, at the same time, kidneys. But then there's th- it, like everything is a. There's an art to it, right? That's why it's like part art, part science. The guidelines help ground us at least a little bit in science, but there's still some art there. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate too. Sometimes when you look at some of these value-based care contracts and stuff like that, like they hold you to the guidelines. Like there's no room for exceptions. I, as a, as a pharmacist just today, I was looking at a sheet that was like, you guys have so many patients who are diabetics and not on statins. I'm like, but some of them have problems and legitimately won't take them no matter what we do. Like, is that actually what we're going to do? And now you're going to like hit me with a fee and try and take money back. Cause I I don't even prescribe the stuff. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then that's, a, and then the DIR fee comes after that, even if you do it, because they won't say compliance. So it's, uh, yeah, no, it, it's a hundred percent true. Like there's, you know, it, I think we're making strides toward this. I don't think we're there. I think we've got, but I do think we are getting closer. Again, I, I have the, the microcosm of oncology that I specialize in, but we are getting more and more personalized with our medicate, with our, you know, with what we're doing, how we're treating patients this is the right regimen for this person. And yes, value-based care things steer a large portion of that. And yes, you have to fight tooth and nail the second you buck up against, you know, a PBM that doesn't want to <laughs> ultimately pay for this one particular thing. And I, I'm not saying it's a perfect, but I do think, you know, the, the arc of it is trending towards more personalized medicine as we go. So we kind of touched on it, like some of the major problems with professional shaming. Like obviously it, it, it reaps a division between the professions when we all know we should be working interdisciplinary. Like that's why we're a team and why we have different specialties. Um, what right. other problems do you think that this kind of like root cause like just hits at? I, I So I think really the other, I mean, th- that to me is the, the single biggest problem is that the the division between the professions and now everything is 
it's just like in real world politics right now, you know, no one yeah. can have a conversation with anybody. But what I think ultimately happens though, is that, you know, like I'm, I'm just a regular old Joe. I'm not in healthcare at all. And I'm scrolling through Instagram and my cousin's a nurse and she's posting something about how, you know, I don't know, dermatologists are terrible or surgeons are, terrible, you know, <laughs> God tripping people or whatever. Right. And now it's like, you see that and through repeated exposure, like, you start to trust healthcare a little bit less, right? Like, and I don't know, it just, it kind of fractures, like we have this incredibly, incredibly expensive, you know, system and very inefficient in some ways, but still really good in others. And it ultimately, I think what happens when, when you do this is that ultimately the patient suffers. Ultimately we're giving less care either because we're not listening to each other because we think we're omnipotent and we know everything or because the patients aren't trusting us and they're not listening to us. So they're not going to remain compliant or adherent on their therapy and take the statin when they need, you know, or take the, take the river rocks because of their Chad score or whatever. Right. <laughs> like yeah. And so, you, you know, one of the funny things with that too, is just like, and yeah, I think you kind of alluded to this is when you say something enough or you see it enough, eventually it becomes like your thought process, right? Like there could be like a colloquial 1984, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There could be like a colloquialism that you didn't know had like racial undertones, but you kept saying it. And then all of a sudden, like it became part of your speech. And then someone thinks like you're racist when really you're just like, no, I'm not. But that was something that, right. you know, the way I misinterpreted it and kept saying it. Or you could sit there and say, you see like a bad thing from one physician. You didn't see the 20 good things they did, but you keep, you remember that right. bad thing. You see it again. You didn't see the other 20 good things. Then you're just eventually like, they're horrible. And no, you just only remember it because it's like, yeah. you know, once bitten and twice shy type of situation. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's is like rule, like I cited 1984, but, you know, there's other rules for radicals. There's other books that, you know, basically say it's like it's rule number one of propaganda. You know, you repeat something often enough, it becomes the truth. And, and I mean, like, I'm not even talking on the political, like, that's not like the spectrum I'm taking here. I'm just saying yeah. even to yourself, right? Yeah. You, you say to yourself, like, enough times, you know, surgeons are don't care at all about medicine. All they care about is cutting people and playing God. You say that to yourself enough times, like you start to believe it. You know, I mean, you, if you have negatives, I mean, outside of that, you know, like, Oh, I'm fat. Like I'm overweight. Like <laughs> you have like negative self-talk. Like you start to believe it eventually. Yeah. And that's a problem, you know? It's, yeah. And, and even sometimes too, like where maybe it was true in the past, but it's not now. I, I, I like to say I am a marathoner, but since having kid one and then pandemic, I've put on like the pandemic 20, I swear. And so I could not probably go run a marathon the same way I did before. I could, it could, I could do it. It just might take me a lot longer. I might hate myself afterwards, but it would not be as easy as it was when I was running ultra marathons. But in my head, I'm like, I'm still a marathoner. I'm still a marathoner. I'm still a marathoner. When it might no longer actually be true. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It, exactly. So so, you know, I have to, just because I did drop a podcast episode on this. So like the recent AMA statement was like a, to me, a shining example of this. Cause they just trashed pharmacy. And the whole time I'm like, I'm going to backhand the person who wrote this, but what was like, was that like an epitome of prof professional shaming here from when you read that? Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I see it more as, as a turf war you know, as a, as, as trying to Will Smith us, like, you know, keep, keep your pack a little bit out your mouth, keep my pack a little bit out your mouth kind of thing. I, I mean, it, it kind of was like, there's definitely backhanded elements that are shaming, right? Like how could 
anyone possibly manage the six page of drug interactions. It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> like what we do. <laughs> right. Like literally that's our job, <laughs> you know, like, so, I mean, I, I, yeah, there are definitely elements of professional shaming, but I, I honestly think, um, and I, I can just say anecdotally that I don't know a single physician that subscribes to that statement. Like, and I've asked, I've spoken with several, I've, not seen a single thing on social media. I've read certain things. I've, there's actually multiple, multiple articles that have nothing to do with medicine. Like patients don't agree with that statement. You know, yeah. most doctors, probably every doctor outside of the AMA does not agree with that statement. So yeah, it definitely was a, a shame thing, but like, I feel like we've seen that before too. I feel like this happened anytime anyone, like it happened when nurse practitioners right. started doing more it happened when we started doing vaccines back with swine flu it's it's a turf war and it's kind of unfortunate because i think it does ultimately who, who loses in this is the patient right yeah you know it's funny you mentioned nurse practitioners because i always had a little bit of a, a stigma around them myself and then where i currently work we have a ton of nurse practitioners and even a pa and i'll tell you right now after working with them i'm like okay I definitely understand your value. Like you guys are amazing at what you do. Uh, and it's like, I will help you with that. But it was one of those things until I actually had that on hand experience and saw them as real people. I, that was not like my, like my experience in the silo of pharmacy, which I feel like is easy to happen because we just sit there in our little pharmacies and we just, like you said, act omnipotent. Like we know it all because we're forced to do that in our role. Like we are the sole right. answer giver in that situation. And there's no one that can really argue with us. You know, I, I taught for a number of years for Georgetown University uh, School of Nursing. They have an online nurse practitioner school. Um, and, and so I taught that pharmacology to those nurses, um, you know, for quite some time. I mean, yeah, anyway, I got to tell you, like, they are amazing, amazing professionals. <laughs> like, like, they know their stuff. And, you know, most of my, if I were to make a anti- you know, advanced practice, practice, you know, practice provider, like thing, it would be like on their drug knowledge, right? Like, Oh, she doesn't even know how to dose vancomycin or whatever. Right. Like you can yeah. like, I can't even dose but vancomycin, like, but yeah, <laughs> they, they get, they get like the only pharmacy instruction that they get in their entire nurse practitioner program is a 14 week pharmacology course with me. <laughs> That's it. Like we, we cover every antibiotic in one two hour session, <laughs> like every, like, <laughs> It's insane to think that they're going to know it at the level that you know it, yeah. right? Or that, like, you, you'll pick it up on the job. But, like, and I got to tell you, though, like, they are amazing. They work their asses off. They know it. You know, they should. Like, I, I learn stuff every single time. Like, I, I'm in Texas, right? I, something fun that I learned that I still remember to this day. I had a student that was in Minnesota. I had no idea that you can give Altaplace for frostbite. <laughs> like. Who the hell knew? I don't deal with a lot of frostbite in Texas. <laughs> you know, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, but it's like you just learn all these fun things and like these. It's it was such a great experience. Like, and I think really helps foster empathy. I think that's kind of part of the solution you know, to the problem is to get a little bit of perspective about like what each other is trained in, what they bring to the table, and what their day to day life looks like on the job. And I think that that like would nip most professional shaming in the butt. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great solution there, which is actually what I want to move to next is, you know, what's the next step so that we can 
help kind of like get past this? Is it just forcing ourselves to try and like see it from their perspective? Because we can't always force ourselves to work with them in the physical space. Right. Yeah. I mean, like if you had the ability to like, you know, round with somebody or just, I mean, man, do it. Especially if you're a student, you know, go, go try to see a surgeon, go shadow a nurse for a day. If you're a pharmacy student, if you have the ability to I think it'll be eye-opening and tremendous for your practice. And if nothing else, even if you don't gain a respect for nurses somehow out of doing that, like seeing what it's like when they actually hook up a drug as an IV, you know, it's like a very different world that you never yeah. really consider in pharmacy. I just give it and there's a line attached to it sometimes. And it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, so seeing like what happens and then like in the world of oncology, especially what does a taxol reaction look like versus a rituximab reaction look like? They're, they're different, you know, versus a carboplatin. And like you, like a good nurse can see it. And so spend some time like learning stuff like that because it's fantastic. Two, yeah, like see them as people. Talk about your family. Talk about your dogs. You know, go to a happy hour after work. Like if you work on the, you know, on the critical care floor, I don't know, go do something go to a yoga class go, go get a beer do whatever it is like you know do something after work and like i think you know if you do that you stop kind of siloing off everything right if you only hang out with pharmacists you're gonna think only like a pharmacist and you know you're the average of the five people you spend the most time around you know blah 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 like if if the perspectives you get are narrow and only looking at one side of the world then that's the perspectives that you're going to ultimately you know, through that repetition, you know, yeah. ultimately you'll start to exude some of. I think if, uh, I think if there's one thing I'd recommend, it'd be going to one of those ax throwing places, because I think that the nurses letting out the aggression <laughs> from their bad day would probably actually Trump yeah. pharmacist, you know, maybe not the retail yeah. ones, but it would be a hell of a competition. I think the ax would probably break in the process of just the power <laughs> sent to it. But and that's oh, a man, great Brianna call. Out. Got aim. I'm not gonna talk. You know, <laughs> she hit the bullseye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I think that's a great one, and I think that's a I think that's a reasonable solution that we can try and actually take away from here too, because it's axe just, throwing specifically. Oh yeah, specifically axe throwing. But no, just a <laughs> yeah. Try and do what you can to like look at them as people, because like again, it's been really eye opening for me in my current practice just to be like, wow, they really are good at what they do compared to where I was at previously when all I would do is call and yell at them because they only could prescribe things for a PA <laughs> and they couldn't right. get anything covered. And I'm like, come on, don't you know the formularies? But you know, that's, yeah. that's my job. Right. So it's a good call out. Um, I, I do want to kind of wrap this up a little bit here. So we're not just badgering on with this, but you know, you've got a lot of experiences there all over the place. And I think that this would be some cool questions to ask you here. So if you could change one thing about pharmacy, that is not a law, what would it be? Just one. Um, <laughs> yes, unfortunately, just one. I think, yeah, that's tough. I, I drive-throughs. I, I'd get rid of drive-throughs. I think um, I, there, there's a convenience to them. I know, especially you know, in the times of COVID, especially they were. They, but I think we can accomplish some of that with curbside as well. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think drive-throughs only foster the belief. I don't think that, you know, like they only foster the belief that this should be ready in three minutes, you know, or like instantaneous service. And it doesn't exist anywhere else in healthcare. No. Um, and, you know, it's, I don't know, that, that would be it, I think. Get rid of drive-thrus. 
you know, I that's one that's near and dear to my heart because I swear to God, ninety percent of either my when I worked in retail, ninety percent of my complaints came from the drive-through, and it's like your line's too long. And I'm like, well, why are you in a like? This is a pharmacy. It's not McDonald's. We don't spill your right. pills in the bottom of the bag. Like, you don't say that at Starbucks. Like when there's a lot, you know. What I mean, it's like it's. What do you expect? Yeah, and you know that drinks mess up like thirty percent of the time, at least from my experience. Yeah. But now I'm, right. sh- now right. I'm shaming Starbucks, and, but. No, yeah, but like it's true though. But like that's a latte, right? Like, oh, it's peppermint and it was supposed to be vanilla. But like, you know, like that's a problem if it's like, oh, this is tacrolimus. It's supposed to be Lipitor, right? Like, it's that's a problem. <laughs> Just a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could change one law in pharmacy, federal, state, or anything weird or specific, what would it be and why? Also, hard to pick just one. Um, so it's like, do I go after DIR fees? Do I go after? No, I think if I honestly, okay, I, I'm going to take down for my one law direct to consumer advertising by pharma. That's going to be my law. We're one of only, I think, two countries in the world that does it. I think pharma spends upwards of six and a half billion dollars a year just on direct to consumer. Yeah. It's I think most of the commercial, right. And like, you know, there's one thing about the Z state education that like, I'm, that's, that's one thing, but enough, like, that's not what I'm talking. I mean, like you, you all know the commercials, like a Viagra commercial is not about Viagra. The guy's like playing tennis. He's going camping with his wife. They're rowing boats out on the lake. She's <laughs> driving the Viagra. Like, it's like watching a truck commercial, right? Like, or, or a beer commercial. It's like, it's selling you a lifestyle. It's, it's not, and everything looks magical and amazing. If I would just take this embryo for my, you know, psoriatic plaque or whatever, like, and it's, it's not that, you know, like it's not showing you the, the reactivated Hep B or the tuberculosis, you know, it's like, it's not showing you the side effects. It's showing you the, like, and I think I'm not naive enough to think that that six and a half billion wouldn't just get fed into profits or, increased efforts at advertising to healthcare professionals. But like, I I think it would, you know. Yeah. I I think that's a good point there because if you target the healthcare professionals, like we all have enough of a BS detector to know if it's like actually worth it or not. Like, right. Like we, we get them where they're like, Hey, we have a steak dinner here at this really fancy place. And you're like, all right, I'm immediately questioning the validity of your drug. If you're trying to take me somewhere fancy, but like consumers don't have that. And you know, they show like the Eloquist commercial and they're playing basketball. Like, Okay, yeah. Chris Bosch is like the one got, person who can do that. Nobody else is going to on Eloquist is generally going to be out there playing exactly. basketball at age 50. Right. You you just took a bow to the nose. Now what? <laughs> like, you know, like Yeah. And now you're bleeding inside your chest. You know, like it <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a that's a very valid point. I like that one too. I uh, I always uh, also thought it was weird that in general pharma spends twice as much on advertising than they do on research, and that always just bugged me at my core. That's a whole other discussion, yeah. but I, because I think that's it the whole thing, out. right? Like that's like well, it takes so much to bring a drug to market. And you're like, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it takes a third of that. <laughs> you you know, like it. Yeah, it it costs a lot of money, but yeah, exactly. I think I think more benefit would happen. And I think there's a reason that we're one of only, again, I believe it's two. Uh, I think it's New Zealand is the other, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it's us in New Zealand. So I think there's a reason, right, that <laughs> literally every other country in the world doesn't allow it. Yeah, especially since New Zealand was one of those countries that like actually squashed COVID for the most part by like following the basic guidelines. And it's like in America, we couldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Plus they have hobbits, you know, they have hobbits to like balance. So 
<laughs> yeah, they, they do. They have beautiful scenery. They can actually be outside and enjoy it a lot longer. So at least compared Wizard, to Cleveland. Wizards and Hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, where can people find you if they want to find you, Brandon? Because I think that your content's awesome, and I want to make sure to, uh, to highlight that for listeners because I think this conversation just shows it. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so tldrpharmacy.com, the short elevator pitches, it's what I wish existed when I was in pharmacy school. Um, try to get you from that student to being a practitioner, try to connect that gap because trust me, if you've been there, you understand that there's quite a gap between what you're taught as a student <laughs> and what's required of you in the real world. Um, we have stuff for NAPLEX, stuff for MPJE, we have clinical cheat sheets, a free email list with free cheat sheets once you sign up for it. So tldrpharmacy.com. If you have any questions, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me at brandon at tldrpharmacy.com. Um, those are probably your two best bets. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else too. <laughs> yeah, we'll put some links for the listeners in the show notes so you can find them. He's more okay. popular than I am, so you'll probably already know about him and don't know about me. So if you're here, it is what nah, it is. But... Sell yourself short. <laughs> sell yourself short. <laughs> but hey, uh, I appreciate you coming on the, on the podcast, Brandon. It's been awesome having you. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.